Go to Exodus 9. But then if you would, put a, I'm going to have you flip twice today, so I want a tassel in one of them. Go ahead and put a tassel in Romans 9 for me. Go ahead and do it now so we don't break stride in the middle. It's a beautiful word. There are many sermons for, for my people that are in small group, and if you're not, that's my plug for you to be. But tonight in small group, that's a wonderful discussion. What sermon do you hear this morning? There's a lot of sermons in Plague 7. Which one do you hear the most? Which one speaks to you? Exodus 9, the seventh plague, starting in verse 13. So I asked a question last week. I said, do you see protection and punishment? Do you remember that with the flies? And as God protected the Israelites with that invisible wall, it's like everybody was swarmed with whatever this flying insect was. Um, you and I, we, we see the punishment, but we don't experience it. We experience protection, right? So the question was simple. Do you, do you see protection in punishment? So we said as born-again believers, we read Plague 5 in the Exodus, and we go, man, what a phenomenal story of salvation, Wild way to look at things. And much like the question of last week, we have one for this week. If you're a note taker, if it's stormed today, spiritually, I know some of us just went through a storm physically, naturally. If it's stormed today spiritually, if you had the hundred pound pieces of hail flying from the heavens, would you feel it? Would you experience it? Would you be touched by it or would you be sheltered by it? If it rained today, would you feel it or be sheltered from it? So as we jump in, before we start reading, I want to give you a recap because I want you to see almost the tactical warfare of what is happening in the plagues. And so God is removing what stands in the way of his people worshiping him, right? He's bringing them out of bondage. So we start with plague one, and God stops time. He turns the Nile into blood. So all of a sudden, time stops. He grabs their attention. It affects them in every way. Anything could affect them. Everything shuts down. God grabs them by the collar. Plague two. He says, if you want frogs, I'm going to give you frogs. Do you remember that? If you're going to worship such silliness, I'm going to let you drown in it until you come to me and say, God, please remove that, right? So now the people are hit, time stops, and now they're spiritually hit. It's like, man, what foolishness are we worshiping? They're drowning in what they actually love. Plague three was the lice. What do we see in the lice? Well, during this time, the people saw God, they felt God, they started to know God, but they said, hey, listen, we have some people of ourselves. We got some people. You bring God my way, and we'll send you our magicians, right? I raise you magic. Well, when the plague three came, all the magicians shut down. They couldn't really do anything else. And so what people saw was is we can't really stand up against God in any way, form, or fashion. Plague four, what do we see? This was last week. Plague four was the flies. And this is where we see God start to separate the people. So the people were sworn, but some people were protected. We came back on Sunday night last week, and we did plague five and six. And plague five was the first death that was experienced. So up to this point, and you go, well, Hunter, you know, frogs died, but that was God removing them. It wasn't until plague five, until the first thing actually died, so the people started to see that life was lost. Then you see plague six, and that was the boils, almost pictured Job in a way. And you saw the boils and the pain and the sore start to be experienced by the people. And then plague seven, as Philip read, we start to see hail and the storm and the rain come down from heaven. I was reading a book and 
A man said in a commentary, he said, I always grew up reading the plagues and I always wondered to myself as I got deeper into the progression, like what was taking God so long? Like seven, it took seven, it took eight, it took nine. Like, man, you gotta give these Egyptians credit, man. They don't go down easy, right? Almost kind of like a rocky scenario. Like no one thought they were gonna go seven rounds. So what is taking God so long? But that is not what's happening. God is not in heaven going, man, I thought I was gonna get you with that one. What's up in my bag of tricks? No, 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 no. This was a planned progression to break these people down. This was a tactical progression to break these people down. This was warfare on the spiritual realms. Emotionally, they were hit. Financially, they were hit. Family, they were hit. Career, they were hit. Children, they were hit. Family and spirituality, they were all hit. I want you to imagine being hit from every angle. Just put yourself in the space these people stand in in Plague 7. And now it rains from the heaven. If it rained today, if the storm spiritually came your way, would you feel it? Would you experience it? Or would you be sheltered from it? Look at Exodus 9, starting with verses 13. I'm going to tell you to highlight a few things, so be ready to work. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go. Why, church? That they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Will you highlight 15 for me and 16? Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, do you remember from Sunday night? Pestilence means literally defeating epidemic, okay? He says, if I would have poured that on you, plague one, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all of the earth. And yet, as yet, you exalt yourself, you raise your name up, my people, in that you will not let them go. Highlight 18. Behold, tomorrow about this time, I will cause a very heavy hail to rain down such, hang on this, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. You know, why is that important, Hunter? This is one of those little biblical spiritual tidbits that I never knew of until I started digging. What God is doing there, he's using words that they would have understood. And so what I didn't realize until this week's studying is that in Egyptian culture from pharaohs and people of high power, prince and princesses, this statement was all over the kingdom. So you would rise to power and they say, no one has seen a pharaoh or a prince or a princess as beautiful or as strong, as rich, as wealthy, skilled, gifted until now. So what does God say? God uses their own language to get his point across. He says, for people of Egypt, Pharaoh, all the way down to your servants, what you're about to experience the world has never seen before. You don't even know what I am speaking on because you've never experienced, you've never seen, you can't even dream of it. So the people are hurt, they're tired, they're scared, they're separated, they're in pain. And much like the days of Noah, that first piece of hail came down. I almost want you to picture bullets from heaven. I want you to think of a war the ammunition does not stop. But like I said, you got to give the Egyptians credit. They didn't go down plague one. They didn't go down plague two. They didn't go down plague three or four or five or six. Like they are standing. They are the Rocky Balboa taking all of this pain. They might be tired. They might be weary. They might be losing, but we are not going to quit, right? They're hard to kill. But are they? 
Why are they still alive? I told you to highlight. Look at 15 and 16. This is important. Is God running out of ammunition? Is he out of ideas? Are the Egyptians just so strong-willed? There's no quit in this team. Look at 15 and 16. God says, now if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all of the earth. So I'll talk about all the time here. God's word being literal means something is happening currently to these people that has nothing to do with you. And God's word is also living, which means God's word is speaking specifically to you. And in God's living word, God uses every inch, every piece of meat off the bone, every circumstance, heaven and hell, sin and righteousness, young and old, black and white. He uses all things for the past, current, and future people. So what does God say in 15 and 16? He says, listen, I could have killed you in plague one. I could have blinked my eyes and wiped you off the face of the earth and taken away the memory of even the people who knew you existed, but that's not my sermon. He goes, there's a reason that we're seven plagues deep. Why? Because I wanted to go seven deep. God was working in many arenas. He was working in the Israelites. He was working in the Egyptians. He was working in Pharaoh. He was working in the coming books of the Old Testament. And he was working in the New Testament and you and I today. The plagues, hear me, the plagues of Exodus is something that is spoken about in countless books of the Bible. Don't flip just for my my Wednesday night folks that we have heard about David and Psalms. This is many years later. And listen to what an older David says. He also gave up their cattle to the hail and their flocks to a fury of lightning and thunder. He cast on them his fierceness of his anger, wrath and trouble by sending angels of destruction among them. Hear me, David says. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare their soul from death, but he gave their life over to the plagues that he chose to send to them. Go to Romans. I told you to put a tassel. Why is God seven plagues deep? Why did God choose not to wipe them away in plague one? Why is God going the long route? It's good for you and I to see this. Go to Romans 9. Go to Romans 9, verse 14. This is the New Testament. This is 1,000 to 2,000 years later. This is Paul speaking after the Messiah being Jesus has come and died and risen. And now Paul says this, speaking back on Exodus. Exodus 9. Look at Romans 9, 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whoever I have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For, for the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose, I have raised you up. This is what we just read, church. That I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all of the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills, he hardens. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, you who reply against God, will the things formed say to him who formed it? Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Hang with me. What if God, wanting to show his wrath, 
and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessel of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he may make known the riches of his glory on the vessel of his mercy, which he had prepared before glory, even in whom he called not only the Jews, also the Gentiles. Go back to Exodus for me. It says that I may show my power in you and that my name shall be declared in all of the earth. So in plague, in plague 9, Exodus 9, God not only had the Egyptians in mind, Pharaoh in mind, the Israelites in mind, but he was thinking about Paul and he was thinking about Hunter Jones preaching this in April of 2022. God uses, I want you to see his sovereignty God uses the past, the present, the future, all simultaneously for our good and his glory in all of ways. So Paul is saying, listen, what God was doing in the seventh plague was for all mankind. What David says, he says, listen, do you not remember what happened? This is a sermon that simultaneously is being preached throughout history. God uses all things for his glory our growth. We just talked about that on Wednesday night, our series through Psalms where we talked four weeks about why does man suffer? It was four weeks. We said man suffers for a few reasons. One, punishment, correction. Man suffers because sanctification. God uses pain to grow us, right? Why does man suffer? Will we live in a broken, sinful world? Why does man suffer? It gives us a platform. Light shines bright in darkness. And so God uses pain and hardship and suffering to raise us up. So I made the statement, listen, I have buried people for my wisdom. People have died for my closeness with the Lord. And so is yours. Your maturity, your wisdom, your faith, God has used many things for years that even came before you to bring you here. We see the same thing. God is not just speaking in Exodus or Psalms or Romans, but he's speaking in you. Do you hear the sermon this morning? Don't lose me. Like what sermon do you hear? Because this is for you. As he breaks down all of these idols, he's not just talking about the people of Egypt or the Israelites. He's talking about Huntington. Like what idols is God preaching to you to crush before he does? This is your sermon. Stop putting things ahead of the Lord. Because we talked about it. Either one or two things are gonna happen, you're gonna drown in it, or he's gonna painfully remove it. That's your sermon. That's not for David, that's not for Moses, that's for you. Do you hear it? He was attacking the idols. He's showing us his power, his sovereignty. He's calling us to obedience. This is a mighty sermon, and that's why we're seven plagues deep. So God goes, listen, don't confuse. This is not a battle. The reason that you're still standing is because I'm holding you up because I want my plagues sermon to preach to future mankind. That's why I have you here. Look at 19. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home. They shall die. Highlight 20 and 21. So he who feared the word of the Lord, he who heard the warning, right? The storm is coming. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the house. But he who did not, but he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. And so what we see in any message, in any warning, in any sermon from the Lord is there is always the gospel that winds through it, the good news a call to salvation. So God even says, we are seven plagues deep. I am about to bring hail from the sky that is going to crush 
everything, but I am giving you a chance to seek shelter. Now, when it comes to storms of the worldly kind, there's two different people in life, and we have them in this room. You're one or the other. We're here, that people that are here, hear that there is a storm coming, and we duck and we run for the basement. And if we don't have a basement, we will find someone who does, right? It is the end of the world. And then there's people who know that there is a storm coming. We even see the tornado out the window, and we run towards it, right? One or the other. Spiritually, we see the same thing. There's no difference in how we look at physical worldly storms and the heavenly ones. Do you know why? I'm on Camp B. I think the tornado's not going to hit me, right? And honestly, I'm confused when people run to the basement. I have a basement and I don't go to it. You know why? Because I've never experienced one. I've never seen one. I have no idea what it's like to be in a hurricane, a hailstorm, or a tornado, or a natural disaster. And so sometimes what we do is we confuse bravery with a lack of experience, which is called ignorance. And so Wendy comes to me and goes, Hunter, my mom just called, and we need to take the kids to another state, right? (laughs) And I say, babe, I know it's in the backyard, but the chance of it hitting this house is really slow. Why? Because it's never done it before. My house is still standing. And so because I haven't experienced, I don't fear. So why, hear me, why would the people of Egypt, why would the Pharaoh fear anything that they've never seen? Why would they fear something that they've never experienced? And this is what we see in Scripture. The enemy uses this to blind us. And God warns us to not be so foolish because there will be a day where you will experience the unexperienced. This is the last time I have you flip. We can stop time for a second because I want you to be there badly. Kids, everybody, go to Matthew 24. I don't care who you are, go here. We're not in a rush. I want you to see this. No matter if you run to the basement or you run to the windstorm, there will be a day where you will experience the unexperienced. So spiritually, Matthew 24, spiritually, most of us, even if you love the Lord, we walk with such confidence because, listen, if Jesus Christ has not returned yet, then the probability of him returning today is probably pretty low, right? Are we all in agreement with that? Like he didn't come last week, he didn't come the week before, he didn't come this time last year, so the chances of him coming today is probably very, very low. But look at Matthew 24, 36. I want every single person you are three years old, have a Bible open. Look at 24, 36 through 44. This is out of the mouth of Christ. But of that day and of, of that hour, no one will know. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. I want to stop there for one second. He says, just like that first raindrop in Genesis, I think about that a lot. You know, historically and biblically, it says that was the first raindrop to ever experience. Did you know that? Can you imagine? Can you, can you imagine crazy old Noah? who's building the wooden cruise ship, talking about the God of heaven's gonna bring a flood. Can you imagine that crazy old kook? And he runs into the ship. Can you imagine the weight of raindrop one? And you've never even experienced rain? 
you imagine the fear that came over those people when that first raindrop, we're not talking about 100-pound hail, we're talking about one raindrop. Can you imagine what the fear of God that came into those people as raindrop one hit them? And what does it say from Jesus' mouth? It says, when I come back, it will be like raindrop one. You thought it was funny, no one expected, there was no forewarning, and like the people that got poured on, I will return. 37, but as for the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and they were drinking and they were marrying and not giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also being ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Go back to Exodus. So what do we see in Exodus? What do we see in life? What do we see until the day he returns? This is something that has not changed. God warns. A storm is coming. I am real. I am good. And I am not playing. If you have a basement, go to it. And what happens? There's one or two people. Some ran for cover because they had seen enough. And some bet on the weatherman over-exaggerating because they haven't experienced enough. Which one will you be? There will be a moment. Children, hang on Pastor Hunter. There will be a moment where time stops and the clouds split. There will be a moment. Are you ready for that moment? Listen to me. This is the day-old sermon that never gets old and is preached from the beginning of time and probably not preached enough. There will be a moment where all of this ends. And you'll be laughing and you'll be eating and you'll be vacationing and you'll be throwing ball or you'll be with your family. You'll be playing video games. You're watching TV. You're sleeping and everything will stop. And raindrop one will hit. And Noah's not so crazy. And Moses tried to warn you. And I preached to you many times. And you won't have a millisecond to get your stuff together. Either you're in the basement or you're not. Like, are you ready for that day today? Yes or no? There's no kind of maybe. I want to think. I don't really like getting in front of people. I'm embarrassed. I'm nervous. I have social awkwardness. No one cares about any of those things. God is not going to hear your frustration or uncomfortable nature on standing before people. None of that's going to work. I don't care who your father is, what you heard, your problems. Are you ready for raindrop one? If it rained today, right now, this joker was blasted off this room. Would you feel it? Would you experience it? Would you be crushed by it? Or would you be sheltered from it? Which one? You don't need to sleep on it. You don't need to talk to mom and dad about it. You don't need me for it. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready for that day? It does not matter what denomination you were raised in or what you thought was true or how it would look if you came forward. Are you ready for that day? Because what the Spirit Scriptures tell us what we all say is true, which we believe in. Jesus himself says, nobody will think it's coming that day. Why? Not bravery or courage, 
because they haven't experienced it yet. You hear me? Not because of bravery, not because of courage. They don't fear the tornado because they've never been stuck in one. But Jesus Christ himself says, you will. Today, are you ready for it? And like Noah, and like the Egyptians, God promises it will rain. God promises that it will rain. Look at 22. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, that they may be hail in all of the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. So he's crushing it all. Like if you're not under shelter, he's crushing you and anything around you. And Moses stretched out his rod towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire, departed to the ground. Imagine this moment. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and there was fire mingled with the hail. So very heavy that there was none like it in all of the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field, and they broke every tree in the field. So like the world was just crashing around them. Last verse. Only in the land of Goshen, you remember that land last week? Where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. I don't have this on my notes. I literally just was thinking about this as I was reading it. Remember the invisible wall? Man, this is, oh. So you remember that invisible wall, the flies? Man, you're just like, man, the flies, I can't even touch them, right? But one thing that's just awful is you can see all the people that are swarmed by it, right? Can you imagine being like inside and you see natural disaster? You see the the hail, you see the storm, you see all of those things and, and you're inside and you're looking out the window and your loved ones are outside? Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine seeing your child out there? Your friend, your spouse? And man, thank God I'm dry. Can you imagine the pain of seeing your loved ones not be sheltered? It's a call to discipleship. And so like the flies, the people of God were under a pavilion of God's judgment, right? They were separated, much like the flies. I remember being younger, much different day to day. You know, my kids... I live in a small country town, and if my kids go outside, I go, hey, guys, play in the backyard. Don't play in the front yard. I don't want anybody to take you, right? That's in a small country town. <laughs> and, like, I lived in Jackson, and, like, my parents, like, I'd wake up at, like, 8 o'clock in the morning, and they'd go, okay, we'll see you at 9 tonight, you know? <laughs> and I was, like, 5 years old. That, just was, that was just off. And I could go wherever I wanted to go. And that was a different timing and also probably just poor parenting. And every once in a while, I remember my mom, and some of you guys can relate to this. My mom would go, now, Hunter, because there's no cell phone. I wasn't driving. I had a bike. I mean, I literally could go anywhere I wanted to go. No one cared, which is a different sermon. And my mom, every once in a while, I remember this. She'd go, hey, Hunter, listen, sweetie, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. Like around noon, around lunch, it's supposed to get really bad out. So wherever you are, just make sure you don't go too far or make sure that you're not like, you leave in time. Make sure you leave in time to get home. You don't want to get caught in it, right? You ever remember something like that? And most of the time, guys, I got caught in it. Because I had experienced it and I bet against it and I was having too much fun. And you know what? Right now, all I know is right now. Think about your life, please. Like All I know is right now. I'm enjoying my sin. Like, I know the storm is coming. 
My family has told me it probably will happen, but like I'm enjoying this so much. I think that if I can wait till the last minute, then maybe I could ride my bike fast enough to where it won't hit me. And you remember being on your bike and you're like a mile and a half from home and it starts storming on you and you're like, man, this is miserable. I'm just nasty. I'm soaking. I'm drenched. I'm miserable. I didn't plan well enough. It's much like this message. So this, like I said, this is kind of like the idle thing. It blows my mind that some of you will come face to face with your idols and you'll go, man, he's 100% right. And I'm 100% going to keep worshiping it. Blows my mind. This message, people will leave here today going, I know it's going to storm. I know he's coming back. I know I'm not ready, but you know what? I think I can get home in time. And there's a high probability you won't. And there's going to be a day where time stops and the clouds split and it rains. And your family has said, be home in time. Are you? It's going to rain. Make sure you leave in time. If it rained today, would you feel it? Would you experience it? Or would you be sheltered from it? Look at the last few verses in Exodus. That's why I keep my kids. That's another sermon. That's why I keep my kids 10 feet from the door. Just be ready, guys. I'll jerk you back in, right? (laughs) That's what I'm going to tell them. If Jesus comes back, I want to be able to see you. Look at 27. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron. Hey, guys, this is is a whole other sermon. I, I really want you to hear what happens. If you've been paying attention and you've been with us and faithful, man, this is, you see the progression of this man, right? And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. I have sinned this time, and the Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. Like fireworks are going on. My man has finally come to his senses, right? Entreat the Lord. Call to the Lord, he says. Moses, go tell God. Go tell God that there may be no more mighty thundering or hail. Highlight this one, man. For it is enough. White flag. I have sinned. Me, my people, we're wicked. He is not. Moses, go tell God I surrender. I haven't heard this one yet. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, does Moses give him hugs, kiss him on the cheek, welcome him to the club? What does Moses do? As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord your God. Like, why would he do this? Like, I want you to understand, like, we started this journey. Pharaoh doesn't even know who God is. He goes, not only am I not going to do what you ask, Moses, like, I don't even know who you're talking about. Now he knows everything about God. Like, Pharaoh is probably more educated than most of us in this room. Plague two, what does he say? He says, I'll let you go. After the frogs, do you remember? Hang with me. Plague two, he goes, look, I've had enough of these frogs, you can get out of here, right? That was his first little surrender effort. But when the frogs went away, he goes, oh, I didn't know it was that easy. Psych, come back. Plague four, he goes, listen, you can go. Go, get out of here. But do me a favor, don't go too far. Remember, last week, little compromise. He goes, listen, I'm tired of all this. I'm sick of all this. Let's negotiate. You can go. You can worship, but just don't leave Egypt. Seven, he is not only am I going to let you go, but I'm admitting that I am wicked. He is not, and I confess that I've really messed up this time. So he knows God, check. He obeys God, check. And he confesses sin, check. So why did this not work? 
Why did this not work? What's missing? Sounds like your salvation story, doesn't it? I've had enough of this. I don't enjoy this. I'm on my knees. I'm praying at the altar. Take this. You are big. I am little. I have screwed it up royally. And Moses knew that God would not accept Pharaoh's plea because his prayer and his heart was not genuinely repentant of who he was as a sinner. How do we see this? How do we know this? One, Pharaoh confesses to who? To Moses to go to God. There's no personal relationship. This is like for the man who really does something ignorant and he calls the pastor to make things better. Hey, Hunter, I need you to fix this. If you can go to God for me, And so Pharaoh calls Moses and says, hey, listen, I am coming before you and I am admitting that I have really sinned what? This time. I am not a sinner. I am not in need of salvation. I just really need help this time. See, today, no different. You and I, have a hard time differentiating, confusing remorse and repentance. Remorse is you and I being sad that we got caught. Is being sad that it's come out who I am. That my wife now knows, that my family has seen, that you have caught wind of, that I am in trouble, that I have been fired. Remorse is a sadness that is connected to suffering, right? I am really upset that I got caught. Repentance is turning to God in surrender. And here's the best way to tell them apart. Am I remorseful or repentant? And the best way to tell them apart, if you are Pharaoh or if you're a child of God, of what comes next. What do they do next? How can I tell the difference? Is he remorseful or is he repentant? What comes next? Our last verses, look at 31 through 35. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for all the barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord and the thunder and the hail ceased. It worked again. And the rain was not poured on the earth. Highlight 34. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. And so the heart of the Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children go of Israel And the Lord had spoken, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So he was remorseful. He was scared. He hated that he was in trouble and caught. And he was not going to be able to outpower the Lord. But he was not repentant. What sermon do you hear today? I'm asking, this is our small group question. There are so many sermons in Plague 7. What sermon do you hear? Is it his sovereignty and brilliance and his power? Like when he said, like I am, I, you are still alive seven plagues deep because I am using this for my sermon? Like I am working in your great-great-grandfathers on your behalf? Like I'm using death to give you life? He's working in Hunter for my great-grandchildren that are to come? Is it his sovereignty and his brilliance and his tactical plans and his power? Is that the sermon that you hear? That God has this? Stop worrying. Stop stressing. You are not God. Be faithful that he knows better. Is that the sermon you heard? Most? Or was it a call to salvation? That a storm is coming. And he has given you a basement to go to. Are you exposed or sheltered? Is that the sermon you heard? You know, I'm I'm not naive anymore. 
There's someone in this room that has told everybody and their mother that they are a born-again Christian and they do not know the Lord and they are dying and going to hell. There are people in this room, I don't know who you are, but I get this message all the time. People will come to me and go, Hunter, I've been in church for 60 years, but I do not know that Jesus that you spoke about. I was Pharaoh, man. I went to the pastor to get my stuff right. I was remorseful for my sin. Everybody else was a Christian. My dad guilted me to coming up. I was saved at 14, but didn't know the gospel. That's your story. That's your testimony. That's not salvation. And so right now, the sermon that you heard, you thought you were inside just to figure out you were outside. And the sermon that you heard was God's grace saying, please come in. I have sent my son to pave a way to be the shelter for you not to be struck by the storm. Or was it judgment from heaven that God is serious? That you don't have time to keep playing around the storm is coming? Or was it God's desire for the unworthy? Kind of like David Evans' prayer there at the beginning. Did you hear his desire for the unworthy? As we close here, this is the sermon that I heard the most. Will you go back to 2021? We're closing. Stay focused with me. I think we skip over this fairly quickly because we just see, man, this hail coming down and everything being crushed and calling you to himself and the Pharaoh's ignorance and remorse and repent, all of those things. But man, this one caught my eye that he who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh. So we're not talking about Pharaoh. We're not talking about the Israelites. We're talking about the no names of Egypt. Like they're not even a part of this story. He says, for the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the house. But he would not regard the word of the Lord, left his servants and the livestock to the field. I was walking. Y'all know what this is? Sand dollar. Or what used to be a sand dollar. I was walking on the beach just a few days with my son, and he found this. I grew up um, in the ocean. And so I used to go about a mile or so off the shoreline, and, and we would dive for full sand dollars. I don't know if you've ever found a sand dollar before and it's tacked. It's really hard to do. You gotta go off and dive for them. And the reason that all the sand dollars that you find are like this on the shore is because they're real fragile. And so if they make it to the shoreline, all the waves hit it and it brushes against the sand and people step on them. And so you're usually very rarely able to like walk on the shore and just find full sand dollars that are perfect and beautiful, right? And so I used to go out about a mile or so off and we'd dive for him and we'd bring back my mom all these full sand dollars and she'd put them in her bathroom, in her bedroom and she used it to decorate her house. She wanted those. But there's no use for this though. And so we're walking on the beach and, and my son London finds this sand dollar just a few days ago. And he goes, oh, look what I found. He pulls this up and he goes, Dad, look what I got, right? I was like, man, this is nothing. Wait, this is a broken up sand dollar. This is, this is awful. And I took it from him and I look to chunk it back out into the water because like what use, what desire do I have with a broken up sand dollar? And he grabs my wrist. He goes, no, 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 no. I want to put this in my room. I found this. I want this. This is the gospel. Why would anybody want a broken up remembrance of what used to be perfect? So God looks and not the Pharaoh, does not look at Paul, does not look at the Israelites, he looks at the no-name Egyptians that we have actually forgotten about even exist. And he says, I still want to put you in my shelter. 
I want you to imagine going to someone's bathroom today, into their house, their living room, and as decoration on their shelves, they have all these broken up sand dollars. Wouldn't that be weird? That's, that's heaven. Every other God that someone has believed in throws this back out in the ocean because no one wants this. We have the only God that is real, that is true, and is good, that this is the only thing they desire. That's the sermon I hear. We are broken up, unworthy, sinful, undeserving sand dollars that no one wants except for the Creator. That's good news. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for today. Lord, if, if someone does not know you the way that we read and taught on and showed through your word, Lord, I pray that you save them now. I pray if someone is out there and they know, they see the clouds. It's not sunny. They just haven't recognized it until today. The storm is coming. Rain is, rain is on the forecast Lightning will be here soon, and they are not sheltered. Lord, I pray that the gospel of the sand dollar and your goodness and your mercy and your grace and your son and your sacrifice and your cross saves them. Lord, I pray that they hear my words. That there will be a day, still now, there will be some who hear this and they will run. They will run to safety. And there will still be some who say, I have enough time. That will never not be the case. That is the hardship of Christianity, is that this sermon will be preached and preached and preached and preached and preached and preached and preached, and some will still not take cover. But I pray for your salvation. And for us that are saved, and let us praise God for shelter. That we will not drown in frogs, that we will be separated from the flies, and we will not feel a raindrop. Let, us, let that be the sermon we hear today. That I will stay dry. In your precious and holy name, the church says in harmony. Amen.